This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Paul Rosalie, I apologize if I messed that up, Paul, is a wildlife conservationist. He's got a massive following on Instagram and has done some amazing wildlife conservation work around the world specifically what he is doing in the Amazon rainforest. That is his primary target. He's protecting 50,000 acres of rainforest, hoping to protect 300,000 acres of rainforest. Paul and I interacted on a post out of a private game reserve in South Africa called Buffalo Kloof, in which he was doing some elephant darting work and misconstrued hunting and poaching together and I had to say something. And to his character, he retracted his statement and actually put something out that clarified his position on hunting. And so I just wanted to get him on the podcast. Matt Gagnon, a good friend of his and mine, put us together on Instagram and said, you guys need to have a conversation. And so this is the conversation, a phenomenal wildlife conservation-centric conversation from two individuals that come from two different elements of the wildlife conservation world coming together because we have the same goal, which is to protect wildlife for our kids and our grandkids one day. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple, is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter.
I'm ready. So listen to me. Tell me. It is crazy that I interact with plenty, lots and lots and lots of folks, right? And more often people are like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's look at the calendar for like next Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paul's response to me was, I'm going to be in India for, I think you said two and a half months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going to be back here. So why don't you just reach out to me mid-July? <laughs> <That's Yeah>. what, <laughs> it was a while ago. Early April, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a bit. It was a bit. <laughs> what the heck were you... Well, listen, India is just a melting pot of everything, man. Yeah, um, it is incredible. What, what were you doing in India, my man? Okay, so <laughs> um, India, India, I started living in India part of the year back in... Ooh, ages ago back in like 2008 and then um i've been this this last time i got invited to go into one of the premier national parks of south india into nagarholi mm-hmm. national park where there's the largest remaining population of asian elephants and bengal tigers on earth mm. that was that was incredible um as as well as that's where my girlfriend's from um oh, so <laughs> okay okay so yeah in, in india is i mean i got so many i got so many friends and family over there um I actually took, I took about, I took about a month in India, but then actually the last two months that we've been waiting, I've actually been in the Amazon in Peru. Um, and that's, that's, that's the real blackout. At least in India, you can, you can find signal out in the Amazon. You got nothing. Nothing, right? You're just disconnected from it all, man. It's, you know, we're so, we're so driven by these devices nowadays, man. Like I get anxiety not being around it because my work revolves around my phone, right? And just knowing, yeah. and I, just knowing like, that moment of like, oh, where's my phone? Mm-hmm. That like a, that 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 adrenaline dump inside your body. It's just like this is so weird, man. No, that's it's and the great thing is after spending, you know, so the last two and a half months, I've uh, you know, I I think I've you know I've only slept indoors a few nights, you know, in between when we go back to town to resupply. So it's been sleeping out in the the deep wild with with the sound of frogs and birds and owls at night and you know and then you come back to you know just the air conditioning on the plane was a huge shock and then you know and then of course I always go okay I'm gonna catch up on work you know and and you know catch up with friends and do some podcasts and everything else and then I go but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna find a good balance and then you know your phone tells you you've been on your phone for seven hours today it's like. I have. <laughs> I was like, I got to get back to the, I got to get back to the river. I mean, even that, I mean, I get so used to just, you know, showering indoors is such a, is such a, a cheap knockoff of, of showering in a river or the ocean right. or, right. you know, and then you're standing there in this, you know, tiled room naked and you're like, this is terrible. <laughs> or like, you know, like two days ago, I was standing in this beautiful river with trees and vines and, you know, looking at the crocodiles and, um, yeah, it's just so coming back to society is a bit of a shock. Yeah. Well, Paul Rosoli, did I get your last name right? Rosoli? I'll accept Rosoli, Rosalie, anything. What is yeah. the real? Ah, we say Rosalie, yeah. Rosalie. Just American. Paul Rosalie, welcome Blah. to the Blood Origins podcast, my man. Thank you so much for having me. Super pumped to have you on, man. Um, I, I don't know if you remember our first engagement. Was that I mean, my friend Matt who connected us? It was Matt Gagnon connected yeah. us. It does yeah. go back before that. It goes that, back though. further Matt, than that, yeah. Matt and I connected. Uh, he was like, man, you guys need to get to know each other. You guys are 
you know, truly passionate individuals when it comes to wildlife conservation and whatnot. And, and I was like, I was, I was a big fan of you because of this. No, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Our first interaction was a little contentious. <laughs> oh, yes. Now I, now, now I know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, and it was with, you know, our great friends at Buffalo Kloof. Yes. And yes. the sort of, and, and, and it was contentious because my world, I fight this, this rhetoric that is everyone says poaching and hunting is the same thing. Cool. And it's like saying shopping and shoplifting is the same thing. Ooh, nice one. And it's like, and so, you know, and so you have a massive platform, you had massive influence and I, you commented something about poaching and I was like, this is, I got to say something. And I told the Buffalo Cliff people, I said, I'm sorry, yeah, but I'm speaking out. And, yeah. uh, and this is where your, your character shined through. And I don't know what your position is on hunting and we'll get into this. Yeah. You were like, yep, I got it wrong. I'm going to make amends and I'm going to make, I'm going to, I'm going to say what's right. I want to say the truth and I'm going to take my statement back and I'm going to be like, all right, here's what it is. Mm. And that's what you did. Yeah. And kudos to you, man. Massive no, kudos. It. Yeah. And I mean, and also it's good to, it's good to, I enjoy a situation, whether I'm the one right or I'm the one wrong, where, um, you know, where, 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 where people speak out for A, what's true and B, what just, just their perspective, you know, you don't have to agree with people. I mean, I have people on my posts. I mean, I'll post a picture of, a, you know, me catching a butterfly and releasing it and people <laughs> being like, how could you harm this poor helpless butterfly? It was just trying to fly. And I'm like, I've devoted my life to protecting 50,000 acres of rainforest. Like you're sitting at home in front of your keyboard. How many acres are you protecting? Like, I want to know. And these comments are crazy. So yeah, and, and, and specifically for people listening, like on that post, I believe what happened was, and it's funny too, because Buffalo Kloof, and we, again, we can unpack all of this, but Buffalo Kloof is a hunting reserve where <laughs> my interest there is the fact that they're protecting black rhinos, white rhinos, elephants, and all these other animals that nobody really hunts, you know, just 100%. all the tiny little animals in the ecosystem that, that nobody's coming to hunt, you know? 100%. And, uh, and so they've done such amazing work that as an animal lover and a conservationist that I think is so crucial. Um, and yeah, we, we were decollaring an elephant, an elephant that carries the big tusker genes, which is rare on the Eastern Cape. And so it's really important. And I was on a Jeep with a helicopter right next to me. And I said, That's right. because of human hunting, you know, elephants have lost. I don't know if I should have said poaching, but um, I said hunting in that moment. <laughs> and... Um, but, you know, and, 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 and fair enough, you know, I understand now that, that because, because even the guys at Buffalo Blue, they're like, you can't, what are you doing? You're killing us, man. You're killing us. Like, what? I had no concept of that this mattered so much to people. I was like, oh, come on. Um, but, but then, you know, yeah, I mean, what they do, and I guess what I could say, what we do is, you know, is, is, at, is ethical hunting. I don't, I actually don't, I don't know necessarily what you're, where, where you stand. So I'm not going to say we yet, but. I know the guys at Buffalo Loop and how they do it, yeah. and, I, and I very much respect what they do. Yeah, and uh, and and so yeah, you know, com conflating that with poaching, where you're going in and just murdering animals, endangered species, 100%. and taking is, is is not fair. Yeah, yeah, especially and blood because origins, you know, blood origins is a, a nonprofit. I have a PhD in wetland ecology and aquatic biogeochemistry. I fell in love with swamps 
when I was 16 years old in the Okavango Delta. Oh. And just decided I wanted my whole life to be around wetlands and swamps. And so that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And um, Blood Origins is a mechanism by which the mission is very simple. Convey the truth about hunting and hunters. We have a lot of bad apples, unfortunately. And yeah. those bad apples give us a really, really bad PR problem. Mm-hmm. And nobody has, unfortunately, the hunting industry is so egocentric that all of the benefits and consequences that come from the activity of hunting have never really actually been told because they're not very sexy, Paul. Better. They're not as sexy as standing behind a dead animal and showing all my hunting friends how cool yeah. I am. Yeah. And so that's what our mission is. Our mission is to say, okay, look, take a step back. I get the fact that you hate hunting. Mm-hmm. Not you, just writ large. Yeah, yeah. I get the fact that you hate that there's a big, fat, rich, white American standing behind animal X or animal Y. Mm-hmm. I get it. Sometimes I hate it too. But if I went beyond that and looked at the benefits and consequences for wildlife conservation, stuff that you're passionate about, stuff that I'm passionate about, are there more rhinos around today on private ground because mm. of hunting? The answer is yes. Are there more predators? Are there more little things? Are there more, is there better biodiversity? <laughs> the answer is yes. So if you had to sort of change the question around a little bit and say, well, are you pro more wildlife, more <laughs> biodiversity? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's it's a tough one, man. I, I think a lot of people. First of all, you got to consider the fact that because again, I'm I'm dealing with almost a, a a lighter version of the same problem. You know, we're we're dealing with people that are very out of touch with wetlands, mountains, jungles, deserts, whatever. These are people that aren't going outside. People leaving these comments, I don't think most of the time are people that are going outside. Um. Me and my friends, or me and my my team in the Amazon, who are all expert hunters in their own right, um, you know, we, we call them bunny huggers. You know, it's it's this this concept of you know, no animal should ever die and everything. You know, it's like well, we you know, we've even had problems with you know fishing in the in the Amazon River where there is mm. you know just you just dip a hook in and you have fifteen piranha. You know, it's just you just it's so easy, and you know, just having people be like. Oh, you have to throw it back. Don't, don't, no, the, the hook, you know, it's like they're so concerned and um, they've, Do you I don't, think you they know, just aren't aware of the cycle of life and death? I don't know. Aware of the cycle of life and death, how animals kill each other and the, or, or, you know, even just watching a house cat play with a mouse or a lizard or something. My God, they're, you know, merciless. They, they taunt yeah. them. Um, human history. It's just like, it just goes so, it's so gentle and so, um, unreasonable, um, based on the chemical, physical laws of reality that, you know, things need to be killed and eaten. And, uh, you know, the easiest place to start is that at Buffalo Kloof, I, I mean, I tend to be more on the conservation side, protect the wild, protect the animals. I hunt sometimes, but really only when we're out on, you know, deep expeditions and all that. And a lot of times sure. because the local guys like using, they like using these shotguns, these old shotguns that, you know, instead of spraying that at a herd of peccary, it's like you got an old forty-four repeater, and it's like take one down. You know, and <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather do that one and and handle it better and have it go quicker than hit six of them. I don't know. And um, in that scenario, Paul, that's that's pure yeah. sustenance, right? Yeah, I mean, look, could here's the thing though: could we 
pack a little extra food, sure. Do we end up in situations where on week three of an expedition we've run out, you know, the rice has gone bad and we haven't had luck with fishing and, you know, could we survive? Sure. But there also is something beautiful and ritualistic and primal and ceremonial about going out on a hunt. There absolutely is. There's no getting around mm. that. And so, you know, um, what else, what else can we do? You know, and, and we were with the local indigenous people of the Amazon. And so again, if, if someone's sitting, you know, in New York or Connecticut wants to fire off on the internet about it, uh, because we, we hunted a pecker, it's like, well, good luck. But, but no, I mean, I, le- I definitely learned a lot because when I got to Buffalo Kloof, you know, them saying, this is a hunting reserve. I sort of like, I backed up and I was like, what do you mean hunting? They said, well, not the elephants and not the rhinos, but everything else, you know, we don't really have predators here. They have, they have a family of cheetahs and they have a couple of leopards, but there's no lions. And, and so they're like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think the oldest wildebeests are going to do? What do you think, <laughs> you know, what happens to a, to a zebra herd if nothing is, 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 is managing that herd? No predators. And so right. it's like, huh. You know, and then, of course, where, where I'm concerned is, you know, my whole life is, 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 is focused on protecting this wild river in the Amazon rainforest with indigenous communities and wildlife populations and all this incredible biodiversity. Um, and it's so difficult to get people to come to volunteer, to come as tourists. Mm-hmm. It's very, people are scared to come to the Amazon. And uh, Warren at Buffalo Kloof said to me, he goes, you know, no one's going to pay $30,000 to take a picture of a buffalo. 100%. But, but someone might pay $30,000 to shoot a buffalo. And he goes, and some of these old bulls, you know, after they've made it a few seasons, we, you know, we want them gone so the new guys can come in. And it's like, oh, you know. And that money I, creates I, value, right? That money yes. creates, yes. It, it, it protects the animals, it protects the rhinos, yep. it allows for restoration, it allows for, it allows, yeah. if we want to be simplistic about it, it allows for the animals to be present. Yeah, those animals on, again, we're specifically speaking about buffalo kloof, it's like, so I, I invited a, a very prominent photographer. I said, get you know, come over here. She said, oh my God, these pictures are amazing. This is such an amazing place. And I said, yes, and it's a private game reserve. I said, it's just paradise over here. I said, you got to see this. And she was like, oh, I'm coming. And then she goes, I looked it up and it's a hunting reserve. I'm unfollowing you. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> I was like, what did I do to you? I was like, I didn't. I was like, look. And I was like, again, the rhinos are safe. The elephants are safe. The black critically blamed danger black rhinos. Not to mention the the starlings and the snakes and the little lizards and the and millions of other things. And these people have made this possible. So, so you, you shoot a few old wildebeests and, and, and Yala and, and, and you get these people to have a good experience and it's on foot and it's ethical. Otherwise the herds would just overpopulate and it would, you know, in any way it's a giant outdoor managed ecosystem. So either it's wild or it's a farm. So which do you want it to be? And exactly. It was like, or one would so... convert it to cattle. Right. Ah, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, it's yeah. like, what exactly? The, the point is, you hit the nail on the head. What would you prefer? What would you prefer? I'm on the side of the lizards and the snakes and the birds and the rhinos and the elephants and everything else. And it's like, I'm perfectly fine. And if there was lions, what would, what would be happening? Those zebra wouldn't be getting shot and falling yeah. over. Those zebra would be getting ripped apart by prides of lions. So or one starving way- to death. Or starving to death. And so but one way or the other, <laughs> the life of a zebra ends. In being eaten, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, Paul, talk to me a little bit about you know value is one thing that we are always talking about in the hunting world is 
bringing value to that wildlife for all, you know. I don't yeah. really like the phrase, it pays, yeah. if it pays, it stays. I don't quite like that, but yeah. you have to have value, otherwise a different land use will come in. You, your experience in the Amazon rainforest must be, that's, that's huge because the value of timber operations versus yeah. protecting wildlife is like yeah. it's zero to 180. Yeah, I mean, you, the prices of wood right, right, right now are crazy. My dad just told me that like a board foot of, of walnut goes for like $15 here in, in, in upstate New York. And it's like, that's crazy. Like a little, you know, little piece of wood. Yep. And so you talk about an entire, you know, 700 year old tropical mahogany tree in the Amazon rainforest. You're talking about a half a million dollars, which down there to those people is you're talking about more like $5 million. You know, it's like, it's, a, it's, it's huge money. And mm -hmm. so of course they're going to cut the tree. Um, it's life-changing money. And so that's why we don't really have any mahogany trees left. But yeah, in terms of what we're doing, it's like, it's much, it's, it's such a different reality than Africa. You know, Africa, you have the, you know, this, this game reserve and it's fenced and it's like, you no, know, in the Amazon, it's, it is the edge of human presence on our planet. Like there's, you go to the jungle city and then you go up to the last, the end of the last road and then you get on a boat and you go out past the last village. And then, you know, we just keep going past the, you know, these, you know, the last place you can buy a Coca-Cola, the last place yeah, you can yeah. find gasoline. Then you keep going to the last place anybody lives. And it's like, you can keep going and going and going. And then you can go for two more months. It's like, it is so huge down there. Um, and, and the issue is, is that it, it is, to me, it's deeply wonderful that there are still places that are so vast and wild because everything is so managed. I mean, you talk about, you know, from Yellowstone to Buffalo Kloof to, to the Indian Tiger Reserves. I mean, we are managing these ecosystems to the point that that a lot of that romantic call of the wild, you know, mm. feeling that we I think a lot of hunters and outdoorsmen and I think we all we all sort of have a little bit of that in us to different different degrees. And it's like we don't want to lose that. You still want places that that are to a degree wild. I mean, certainly some places, core areas. Um, and so in the Amazon we have a lot of that. A lot of places that are just you know, wicked wild. Just there's there's no there's no help coming if something happens to you. You mm -hmm. know, it's, it's mm -hmm. which is which is brilliant. Um, and it, it really allows you to connect with your environment. And so that working with the local people to protect that environment. And so there's there's tribes that we work with, like local indigenous communities, and then there's the uncontacted tribes, which you can't work with them because they will shoot you. They still have bows and arrows, and they're still naked. Um. And so, and so there's a complicated human cultural element to what we do, as well as that in terms of a terrestrial ecosystem, this is the most biodiverse terrestrial ecosystem on the planet. There's more plants and animals here than anywhere else, than in the entire fossil record. And so these, these ancient forests, which really haven't been touched, but they've gone on, they've gone in and they've extracted the mahogany trees from the areas close to the rivers. But deeper inside, you have a lot of places that what literally- What does that gradient look like, Paul? Like, what does that anthropomorphic fingerprint gradient look like? How, how big is that? How big is that fingerprint? Of, 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 of extracting the mahogany trees? It, well, yeah. Or, you know, you say to that point where you're just like, okay, now is like, there is no human, quote unquote, human impact on the yeah. environment any longer. Are we yeah. talking 15 Ks from the river, 20 Ks from the river, 100 Ks from the ah. river? Like that. What's, your, yeah. what's that what's that gradient look like once you go i mean honestly in on our river you can step 
most place most places along the river, the vast majority of the spaces. Once you go a hundred meters in, once you once you step off the boat, there's nothing. You look around and you go, I can't see anything human. You may find remnants of a trail that was there from when the mahogany boom was happening, um, but again, that's all going to be close to the very close to the river. Once you go back five k, ten k, you're in the middle of nowhere. And so, in mm-hmm. terms of which is a, a fun one as we wage these, you know, you know, poachers versus hunters. And, you know, I'm, I'm always defending the idea of like, yes, there's, there's wild and then there's like pristine wild. And there's still people, are, I, I'm always like fighting for this idea of that there's still like real wild, like places that we just haven't touched at all. And they're like, no, we've explored everywhere. And I'm like, who has? You know, yeah. I've flown in a plane over the, over the Amazon. You, know, you see tributary, you know, tributary here. And then you fly for 20 minutes over unbroken green broccoli. Just mm-hmm. jungle for, you know, 150 miles. And then you hit another tributary and there's no roads. So anyone who's wanted to explore that jungle has had to go by river or throw on a pack and machete bushwhack through that jungle with 150 feet, you know, of, of canopy cover above you. No one's doing it. There's, you know, there's, mm. a couple, there's a couple people on earth ha- equipped to handle that type of expeditionary travel at this point. That's like going to the center of, of Antarctica. Um, and so when, you know, when, when, when you really look at it, a lot of the, these biologists who are going to the Amazon, you know, they go, they go to the research site that's established that has a, a relationship with the university. And it's like, so, so there's a lot that's still really, really unexplored. There's a lot of areas that you can't go to because they're still dangerous. You know, they're still mm. uncontacted tribes. And so, but the Amazon's really fun for that, that you get that, that deep wild. That's, that's a ton of fun. So in the, you know, for everyone who's listening, obviously, you, you hear a lot about, you know, football fields every second being cut down in the Amazon forest. Uh, you've, you hear yeah. about all sorts of things. What, mm-hmm. In your mind, what is, the, what is the way to protect places that, that you are seeing that are quite now, right now untouched? I mean... On a grander scale, I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's a, the northern countries could very easily, you know, incentivize, you know, Brazil, Peru, Bolivia, the, you know, the African countries in the Congo and Indonesia um, to, to get to reach deforestation at the rates of zero. You could very easily do that. And again, I think about 10 to 15% of human-caused carbon emissions are coming from deforestation still. Hmm. We're in this giant extinction crisis, which... We're losing species at this massively accelerated rate. Um, and so for us on this river, it really comes down to like just protecting the land as quickly as we can. And then, and then actually, just like you said, it has to pay to stay. Like we can buy the land, great. But it's like, well, what happens to that land in 50 years? What happens yeah. that land? If you just make it a national park, it's like, does it, if you can make it benefit the people that are closest to it, you know, the indigenous people that live there. Um, so right now we're working with them to do some ecotourism. And of course, again, you can only, tourism can only so hold up so much. There's only so much right. weight that tourism can hold. Um, because I would you, assume you, would, yeah. you wouldn't want a volume, no. a volume trade to go into a place like that. No, absolutely not. And, and also there's just, in, in, in any cross-section of 100 people from the random public, you know, how many of those people want to go into the Amazon? You know, if you ask, I, I, I do this, I go and I ask people and I go, you know, do you want to go to the Amazon? And they're like, absolutely not. Anacondas, piranhas, jaguars, like, you know, and they don't want to go. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we even have a lot of people that sign checks to us and go, guys, please keep doing the work you're doing. Keep protecting the rainforest. I never want to see it, but I'm glad that it's there. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Um, it's very confusing, but no. So, so we're eventually what we're going to try and do is employ what we've been doing is actually employing poachers and loggers as rangers. Yep. And they know, they know the place the best. And so, yep. and so we've been doing this con- awesome conversion because it's also a lot safer to be a ranger. Doing being a logger down there is dangerous and you're really far out. Um, and so we have a team of rangers, which that's sustainable employment for them. And then we're working with their communities and we're finding ways for them to be more um, future-minded in terms of their ecosystem. Do you want to continue living off of um, you know, the fish in the river? Do you want to continue having enough howler monkeys? They eat a lot of howler monkeys down there. They love them. Um, yeah. Do you want to keep having turtles? And so even that, that's something though where, where it's very interesting, where, where as hunters, we, we, you know, we can sort of spread knowledge where these indigenous communities, it's interesting because I grew up with this thing where it's like, you know, native peoples understand, you know, like, like, it's like Pocahontas. These people don't. These people are like, there's a bunch of turtles. We're going to find a way to catch them all and we're going to eat them all. And then the numbers start decreasing. And so then that's where I start to have a problem where I'm like, okay, look, if we can find a way to sustainably harvest these turtles, I got no problem because animals are sustainably harvesting each other all the time. But if we start wiping out the population, that's where I'm coming in as a conservationist. And so So why do you think that those traditional peoples are over-harvesting? Because typically their traditional models were not of an an over-harvesting type model. Is it because maybe they're sedentary more nowadays than sort of nomadic? I just think that, I just think that the bear, the, the, the impetus behind them being so imbalanced with nature was the difficulty of obtaining a successful hunt. Not necessarily that they were so spiritually, you know, and ethically minded. So, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, that, I mean, I, I've gone with, with people, you know, to, to hit a monkey with a arrow at 40 meters is incredibly difficult straight up, you know, with right. a big bamboo arrow. Um, it's not an easy thing. So you're not, they're not successful. And just like, you know, like a, like a cheetah going out for kills, you know, maybe they're successful one out of 10 times. You're not successful all the time. You put a shotgun in someone's hand. It's like, well, <laughs> you can oh, see okay. it. So you know, the so modernization sudden, essentially yeah. of, of hunting techniques has made them more efficient uh-huh. of a yeah. hunt. And like, well, well, we'll take three instead of just. Exactly. Exactly. Taking so, just one. And so for instance, there was, um, there's a guy I knew who, he, he he used to fish in the stream. We used to go fishing all together at the stream. And, um, you know, actually, it's amazing. These Paku and these big tiger uh, pseudoplatystoma catfish. And um, there was a, a huge caiman that used to live on the waterfall. And she'd always sit there with her mouth open. And the waterfall would flow through her mouth. And she'd, as the fish came through, she would just, you know, whack these little fish. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and as soon as we came, she'd go into the water. And there'd be the kingfisher. And you get to know everybody there. And we'd just go for the fish. And then these guys showed up and, you know, we were always going either we would machete fish at night with our headlamps, which is a ton of fun, or be there with our hooks and just chill out. These guys came and they put a net across the waterfall. And so, of course, the croc died. There was an otter. And like, you know, they, 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 they just, it, the stream was hit. We could see this dip and it's like, 
it's and to me that's the difference between you know like sort of a, a fair play and and a and an annihilation you know well and i assume the net the people that brought in the net were not doing it from a sustenance perspective but rather from an illegal bushmeat trade perspective or yeah fish they were trade perspective they were outsiders who came in and they were hoping to go back to town and sell fish and so they're trying to get yeah. a lot of fish and so yeah. it was like but it was like for us who had been there with this beautiful balance and every week we could go and fish because it was just that was yeah, the yeah. you know um and then it just it all got thrown off and so and then and then you know it croc died and everything else and so it's like for me too it's like i walked this fine line between um you know trying to protect everything and then i also live with the local people so i'll also get in trouble for i'm yeah, i gotta be careful with you know people being like you know you show up in these indigenous communities they'll hand you a plate of spider monkey turtle taper piranha what was it? There was one plate that had five different it had five different animals in the plate. We were all just like, "Oh God, you know, and who's got a hand?" You know, it's like, "Oh yeah," and they're like, "Welcome, yeah. eat." And it's like, "Okay, That's sure. right." <laughs> Cheers, Paul. Have you found a model, a business model beyond philanthropy that is working for conservation of habitats where you are in the Amazon yet? Tourism works, um, especially because the land is cheap out there. It's possible to protect a lot of land with a little bit of tourism. Um, in Africa, of course, we've seen, you know, I've, I've seen success with the hunting model, but it's, it has to be holistic. There has to be, it has to be Brazil nut harvesting, fishing, yeah. uh, tourism. You know, there has, there has to be a whole bunch of different things going into it because if like, really seriously if you can't justify it economically someone's gonna go in there and you know some of the <laughs> my my view on a lot of things has been changing because i've even seen you know traditionally it's the environmentalists versus the oil companies and it's like sure but then there's stories there's just a book out right now about the amarikairi indigenous reserve where hunt oil went down and they wanted to drill in this very very pristine part of the rainforest but experts in the region, expert conservationists came in there and they said, look, here's how we're going to do this. If you don't make a road, we will actually use conservation funding to help you guys get access to this. So fly everything in by helicopter. We'll give you the permits. And so as long as there's no road, the local people can't get in. They flew all the equipment in by helicopter. They drilled, they explored, they actually didn't find what they were looking for. And then the oil company with its vast funding for, for you know, them, it's nothing. They just, they, they helped reforest that land. and. It, yeah, and now perfect. it's completely smoothed over. And it's like, there's an example where the, the conservationists and the oil company became allies. And the oil company with that tremendous weight, and conservationists are, uh, conservation always begging for funding. And oil companies coming in with the helicopters, they have the power to set up national parks. They could help. Um, 100%. And so, and so that's where like creating alliances, I never actually understand when you hear, you know, conservationists and hunters fighting so brutally. Um, no. which is what actually made me excited to get on and, and speak to you because it's all, it's all people that are interested in preserving the outdoors and maybe there's some dissonance in exactly 100%. how to do that. But, but, but we're together united against a planet that right now where they're just destroying all of the wild. Mm -hmm. Everything is a parking lot. Everything is a development. Everything is, and it's like, you gotta unite the people that are all on the same side. Stop fighting. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. my God. Yeah, we have um, the same goal. We have the same yeah, purpose. Yeah. If you asked, you know, I always challenge anyone who says, oh, I'm a vegan, I hate hunting. I was like, all right, yeah. all right, I get it. 
So what do you want? At the end of the day, <laughs> tell me yeah. what you want. <laughs> and they'll say, we want healthy, sustainable uh -huh, uh -huh. wildlife for our kids and our grandkids one day. Okay. I was like, I do too. Yeah. We're on the same page. We're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> so I just have a different model. I have a different tool than you do to get yeah. there. And those tools can work in harmony. Those tools work well in certain areas. They don't work well in other areas. Hunting is not the panacea. Hunting is not a silver bullet. Mm. It works like you just said. There are places for ecotourism that work absolutely amazing. Yes, where they hunting touch nothing. Should, yeah. Exactly, and hunting should not be a part of it. Any other land use shouldn't be a part of it. But there's other places that ecotourists will just not go. No. It's too no. far, it's too buggy, mm -hmm. it's too dangerous. Mm -hmm. But that wildlife has just as much value than the, the place that's an hour from, you know, Joburg. Sure. Um, and, and look, there's certain things, you know, where I get, you know, I'll say, I'll, yeah, but again, again, it's different for everybody. Like, you know, for me, it's like, you know, would I ever agree that, would I ever want to see a, hump, a humpback whale hunt? It's like, well, no. And they're still coming back from being endangered. And it's like, what are we? There's no, nobody needs to be hunting a humpback whale. It's like, and to me, elephants, I've spent time living with elephants as far as I'm concerned. They're just people with trunks, you know, they're, 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 they're that smart. And so like, I would never, ever, ever be able, I like, I wouldn't even work anywhere where they hunted elephants. Like I would steer mm -hmm. clear of that. And it's like, mm -hmm. I've, I have friends that will argue with me heavily on that where they're like, everything's everything, you know, like even people, you know, there's wars, people shoot each other. It's like, yes, sure. Reality is reality at some point. Like everyone's going to do what they're going to do. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, to me, what's most interesting is the, is this, this extremist sort of, you know, vegan perspective, which a lot of people mistake me for. They see that I, that in the sense that people like, you know, I look at my comments on Instagram every now and then, and I'll be like, you know, we have to protect this incredible wild and it's so beautiful. And, and here's this butterfly and here's this snake. And people will be like, so you're a vegan, right? And I'm like, I ate a monkey yesterday. <laughs> like <laughs> the furthest, furthest, furthest person away from a vegan. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, I actually, actually, I posted a video of a young indigenous. Um, I, I posted a video of a young indigenous girl eating a turtle, which they do every day. Um, and the comments were condemning me, saying, how could you post this? And I was like, it is a little girl eating her breakfast. Like, how, does this, how is this in any way reflecting on me? Like, I'm just showing you what I saw. Um, but it shows you how militant people are, how much they, they are mm -hmm. looking to start a fight. Um, and so they're really going to lose their minds when I, I have a video on my phone of... Uh, this little six-year-old, and she's eating. She goes, we're in the jungle, and I hear her go, do you want some? This is all in Spanish, but she goes, do you want some? And I went, no, I'm good. I just ate. And she goes, no, you should have this. It's good. And I was like, Dyra, what are you eating back there? And she walks out, and she's got this little black, you know, apple. And I look, oh, and it's a burnt spider monkey head. And she's got this <laughs> spider monkey head. And I'm talking, you know, like the, the burnt teeth and the, you know, the eyes and it looks pretty brutal. It looks, you know, like a human that was burned on a fire. And this cute, <laughs> this adorable little girl is holding this thing. Just and I munching on it. Just ripping it apart. Just <laughs> ripping the ears off of it. Trying to suck the eyeballs out of its skull. 
And she's so adorable. She's this pristine little girl. And she's like, I just ate his ear, you know, and she's adorable. I, I, I can't wait to break Instagram with this because I've been holding on to it the for internet. a while. It will break the internet. The cutest, most fucked up thing. I don't know if we do. Can we yeah, swear? Yeah, no problems. Yeah, yeah, no worries. The cutest, most fucked up thing you've ever seen in your life. This is crazy. So um, tell me a little bit about the traditional hunters because you obviously around yeah. them all the time. Like, yeah. What is, I don't even know the answer to this question. What is hunting to them? Is and 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 I'll, let me give you a little bit of context before you answer. A lot of people ask us, especially in the African context. Yeah. Well, you're denying the the you're denying the individuals, the indigenous tribes, the communities in that area the the ability to hunt. And my response typically is, they aren't doing it from a recreation perspective. Mm but rather a sustenance perspective. So if they can be provided the meat that they would be getting from hunting, um, it frees up time for them to do other things to benefit their, the communities. Sure. I don't know what the scenario is in, in South America. Uh, I mean, look, the people where we are, you're talking about really far out there, uh, days away from like the nearest town. I, a, lot of, a couple of my friends... Uh, only go back to the city, you know, the nearest town that has like regular electricity, uh, only go back about twice a year, you know? And so, and that's really like once a year to vote and then like, you know, get, get supplies, buy some machetes, fish hooks and whatever else. Um, but hunting, you know, to them is sort of like a, it's just part of the daily, mm. you know, the modern man drives to the grocery store. These people are like, look, you know, we, Okay, we got fish from yesterday, and where you at? It's it's turtle season. Let's go get some turtles. And they'll eat turtle. Right now, they're eating turtles. I just got back like a few days ago, and so everybody's eating turtles. Right in a few more weeks, it's going to be Paco season, which these are these giant vegetarian piranha. Mm-hmm. And so when the getting's good, they go out and and with with hooks, they'll they'll pull in. I mean, you need thick lines on this. They'll 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 mm-hmm. they'll, they'll they'll rip you right out of your boat. They got some like real crunching teeth, right? Because they crunch uh-huh. like nuts and stuff like that, right? Uh huh. And, and like <laughs> sometimes we're on very small boats, and if you snag a paco, it's like you 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 might be going in the river. Like you might be <laughs> flipping. Um, they're so strong. Um, sometimes you gotta like kind of run down the river with them. You know, it's only like chest deep a lot of places. Um, but yeah, and then like, you know, uh, after the rainy season, which the rainy season is usually when everything is fruiting and flowering. So after the rainy season, the monkeys are all fat. And so then that's monkey season. Mm-hmm. So they start going mm-hmm. after that. And so it's like with the seasons, what they eat changes. Um, there's also a lot of fruits and vegetables and everything else that come mm-hmm. out of the forest. Um, turtle egg season is a big thing. Um, but again, the thing, and this, the story you just told about in Africa that, you know, freeing up the local people. Um, I, I would hate to see, um, you know, that dynamic because, because again, that this is what keeps us. Yeah, this is what they do. It's like when you said when you said that, part of me went like to do what? What else? You know, like that's right, hundred percent. I, I think a lot of the reason that that people are, I mean, look at the rates of you know depression and how many people think we're living in the simulation. I mean, the world is getting becoming a weird place, and I think that. Fifty percent of the people on Earth live in cities across the globe, with little to no connection to streams and outdoors and sunsets and clouds and the natural processes and those experiences and the necessity. You know, if you wake up in a house, your refrigerator is working and everything's okay. It's like 
I'm very aware of it because I come in from the wild and I go, oh, there's nothing that I have to do right now. Mm-hmm. And that almost feels, I feel gutted sometimes. I'm like, oh, so I mm-hmm. could just stay in bed. And it's like a weird, uh, it feels unnatural. You know, it's really like when mm-hmm. you open your eyes, I open my eyes in the rainforest. I'm like, shit, I got to go check the boat. I hope the boat didn't sink last night because the river's just, you know, smacking around the boat. So I'm like, all right, check the boat, check the boat. Okay, boat's good. Got to check the fishing hooks. I mean, I hope the boat's good. You know, then you got to, there's stuff that you have to do because the river rises. There's a chemical, physical truth. And it's like, whatever you believe in, whatever your religion is, it's like, we are tied to this, you know, just like a fish in water, literally. It's, we are, we are from this, you know, like where you get the guys now, uh, you know, talking about like, oh, let's, let, let's go to, let's go to Mars. And it's like, mm. the, the, that just makes me think of us as uh, like in the rainforest as frogs where like, if you take them out of their altitude in the, in the canopy, they'll dry up. Mm. So I've been up in the canopy and found frogs. I'm like, oh, I got to take this down and take photographs of it because I don't know what species this is. And then you take it down and you, you, you just see them start to, they can only exist in this microclimate in these bromeliads high up in the rainforest canopy. Mm-hmm. It's like, we are from here. Like the, the air that we breathe, we are so connected to this place. And I think that so many people have lost that connection. And mm-hmm. that's why I think that more than ever, anyone that even gives a shit about nature or the environment or wildlife or ecosystems, that, that we all need to be united against the forces that are destroying these things because that is mm-hmm. so much more powerful. And then we can go through, you know, there should just be enough zebra out there that the people that want to be vegans and go look at zebras out there and, and, you know, eat tofu, they can do that. And like, and the people that want to manage zebra populations can do that, which also, as I've been learning, um, is that a lot, a lot of the, at least, at least in Africa, and I've heard of some other places as well, where like, even the places where they don't necessarily um advertise you know so like okay you have a hunting reserve where where we 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 make our living off of hunting but even the places where they're like this is a you know a pristine game reserve Mm -hmm. and we're just looking at the wildlife it's like well then they just manage the populations behind like when the people aren't around oh 100 percent but nobody knows that no i have no idea you have i didn't know that some I, I will tell you now, I will not, I did not, I will not put names out yeah, there, don't, but don't, the, don't. the, the lawniest, yeah. <laughs> lawniest for, from a South African terminology is like the, the most highfaluted yeah. game reserves, ecotourism reserves mm-hmm. in Africa, in South Africa, yeah. hunt because a buffalo yeah. in that game reserve yeah. is being charged at 45,000 US dollars. Yeah. And you have one person who comes in and they segregate the blocks. Like they tell them, okay, yeah, yeah. you're allowed to hunt here this morning because there's going to be no cruises here this yeah. morning. <laughs> yeah. No, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then I, I, other places where it's, it, it sounds more sinister, but it's like where if they can't do the hunting, like the, the sustainable ethical hunting like that, where then what you have is that they just go, we just got too many. You know, we got mm-hmm. the, the, the wildebeest herd, and so we, we're just going to go drop 50 of them. We're just going to go cull, which that's tragic. That's just, that's just going well, on. You know, you're eating kudu steaks for dinner. Yeah. And you're like, this is amazing. This kudu is amazing. <laughs> you're like, where do you think the kudu came from? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so this, what I do is I, we bring a study abroad group to the Amazon. And uh, so I, I have like 17 students, and they're all like, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22. Um, years old from the US and it's a lot of them, you know, they signed up to go to the Amazon. So they're the adventurous ones in their batch. 
but they still most of them, you get like one or two dudes from Virginia who like grew up hunting and fishing and the rest of them grew up moving their thumbs on TikTok and, yeah. and they just don't know. And so what we'll do, and this is a sneaky trick we play, but we'll start the trip off. We'll start the first half of the trip vegetarian. And so, we'll, you know, eggs are included, but basically they're eating like rice and vegetables and things and stuff. And then halfway through the trip, the kids will be like, yeah, we need, especially the guys, they'll be like, we need protein, man. We need it. Like, what are you guys doing to us? And we'll be like, oh, we're, we're a sustainable eco, you know, we're, we're trying to protect the rainforest, right? How about this? We'll get you some ducks and we bring in these big jungle ducks. So you guys got to kill them. Nice. Oh, man. Oh, man. No. It becomes Lord of the Flies meets, you know, the trial. <laughs> they're just, and they're like, what do we do? And then there's, you know, one, one time there's this girl, she was a veterinary student and she was weeping and she was weeping. She was like, we can't kill them. They're ducks. Look at them. I said, what do you, first of all, they never would have existed if somebody wasn't planning on eating them. So first of all, they've lived a great duck life out in the jungle. Next, you want to be a veterinarian. Do you know how many animals you're going to have to euthanize? Uh-huh. How many animals you're going to have to watch die, help to die, everything else? And I was like, you better be there while I kill this duck, or you better change majors. And in the end, she changed majors. She really Jeez. realized with the duck, she said, ah, she said, I just... And she was a meat eater. She was a, she was a chicken eater, a steak eater, but it was just seeing, seeing, seeing the where it actually alive. came from. Yep. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, you just, you just, you really see it's such a, such a cross, so many crossed wires in, in the human perception of, like you said, kudu steaks. I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> hello. Paul, the, the hunters, when you, when you go with them, yeah. do they, do they enjoy it? Is it fun to hunt? Do these guys seem like they're having fun whilst sort of doing this thing that is sustenance? Or is it just like a job? Uh, both. I think that there's times where they're hunting where they need food. This is at I me and this is out in the Amazon where it's like, you need food. Yep. And sometimes it's not necessarily glorious. Like a few weeks ago, yep. we had terrible cooks and I was out with a bunch of local guys and we really weren't getting food shipments. Um, and we've been eating like rice and canned tuna for like three days and we we're like, we can't do this anymore. And I was like, we got to get some fish. And we were fishing for two days and nothing was biting. And it's like, nobody was having fun at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, we were actually trying to get food. Uh-huh. Um, and we're all just like, I just want that one big fish, you know, so we can go back triumphant. And, um, but yeah, I think everybody, again, I think this is what we do. I think this is what we've always done, you know? And so, and so I don't think that there's very many people among us who that necessarily enjoy the, the, the life taking process. Like when I put a duck's head on a, on a, on a log and take the ax, I just think there's still, you know, there's always something in me where I'm like, oh, you know. Hundred percent. You know, otherwise you're just there's always something, right? Always. Yep. Um. And, you know, and sometimes I wonder, you know, do people not? And it's like even a deer. I've, I've, I've. You know, when you take a deer, it's like you know, okay, well, this is serious. It's not. It's not nothing. Mm-hmm. Um. But my God, do you feel great? I mean, you've gone out into the elements, tracked something. You know, we we all stand in stadiums and cheers when they shoot the ball through the through the net, and it's like. Dude, you, you, you shot it right through the heart, man. <laughs> like, it's very but are exciting. We, what are we cheering there, though, right there, Paul? Success. We, we, life. We're not cheering the death of the animal. Though. No, no. I mean, maybe some people are. And, and I know that when I see those, some of those pictures where you see the, you know, the guy with the, you know, the, the moose that he just killed, sometimes like, oh, like, are you sure you want to take that picture? It just doesn't feel right. Like, I don't know. 
I'm I'm not I'm I don't like identify as a hunter in that sense like in the recreation. So how would you capture success then? Because that is unfortunately I know, right? the forward facing element of success. I know you got your thing. I it, I think it I think it it unfortunately to me it just not unfortunately to me to me it goes down to like the out of sight out of mind thing. It's like look if 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 as long as there's enough moose and moose are not going extinct and they're being managed by ecologists and we know how many moose there are and populations are stable and they're, they're making sure that there's a certain amount of honey purpose. Everything's taken care of. But so, so, so the people that, that, you know what I mean? There's, there's areas that are protected where the moose are free, where there's no one has to worry about getting shot. Great. Let them go there. And I, I mean, there's, the world is a big place. I don't think it's a, <laughs> I don't think it's so life and death, you know, it comes down to. Um, when it comes to endangered species, yes, but that's where I think that the mainstream public has hunting wrong because I see hunters on the side of conservation. They're like, you know, can we, I mean, I work at this game reserve where they are protecting all these animals, all this incredible wildlife through hunting hey. and nothing else that you can say, person who complains about hunting, nothing like if you have a better solution, do it. Hey. Do it. Do it right next to them. Set up a game reserve right next to them and do it as well as they do it with your strategy. Like I just want to see it work. And so, like I 100%. just, I, I don't think anybody has that answer. And so the answer is just then shut up. Um, yeah, and that's why you know the alternative. Then I was, I was talking sort of the question before about the philanthropy was tied to that. It's like a lot of people will say, well, you, you can do something else in Botswana specifically. We just came back from sixteen days in Botswana. We're obviously elephant hunting in these very, very rural communities, a very controversial thing. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, if you go to these places, just like you, like it's not yeah. as crazy as the Amazon, but, yeah, but you know, it's it took there, us eh? two days to yeah. get to this one place. And it's like, what else would you do out here? Could you do biodiversity credits? Maybe. Mm. Could you do sure. carbon credits? Maybe. They don't seem to be working right now, and yeah. they may only come online in five, ten years. Yeah. So, what do you want to do for the next ten years? Yeah. Um, and also, again, the the the, the price tag uh, that that people are willing to pay for hunting is is hefty. These are not oh, small amounts of money. They're astronomical. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. And so, again, um, I I just it, I I've seen it work. And I've seen it work in places where, like, I don't see what the alternative is. And so, um, I just, I just think that, that, that what you're doing then is great because what you're doing, and I think then, okay, so like then us talking, even when you sounded off on that post, it's like, okay, cool. Well, this is the merging of two worlds because I got brought into your world when I started being attacked by the people that were like, how could you work on a hunting reserve? You should stand for better. And I'm like, you know, wait a, wait a second. What are, what are we talking about here? Like none of this would be here. And so then all of a sudden I was like on the side of the hunters. I, I get here. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, too funny, man. But no, I mean, so like it is what it is, but it's like um, a lot of the people, you know, I mean, even in the US, a lot of the people I know where the hunters are the people that love the outdoors, that spend time in the outdoors, that care about wild places. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, it's usually people that are in the cities, you know, Sort of, right. you know, no, armchair quarterbacking. Yeah, armchair quarterbacking. Um, but no, I, I definitely, to me, to me, I, I operate. I have my own set of, of of rules and things that I feel, you know, which I think, and you know, 
this is a chance for me to get educated. Like, you know, like I think that most, most of the hunting community probably is very concerned with, you know, quick death and, you know, often, I mean, I know again, I'm Buffalo. How much money, how much money is spent on a shooting range? How much money is Mm. spent on the latest Mm. bow on the, on the most efficient rifle on the best scope? Yeah. And you just have to ask the question, why? Yeah. Why yeah. is so much money being spent, so much time being put in? Why? Mm-hmm. To be as lethal and as efficient yeah. as you possibly can be. Yeah. End of story. There you go. Um, hey. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was going to say in, in, in Botswana. Um, so there... Like what, what were you guys hunting down there? I wasn't hunting anything. Uh, so what we were doing is filming a documentary about the perceptions of these marginal lands that are really on the periphery of Botswana. And, and what's, what, what actually framed out in my mind was actually quite beautiful. I'm going to write a, I think I'm going to write an opinion essay for conservation ecology, one of the journals that live in this world, maybe restoration ecology. I want to put forward a conceptual model. And I, I love grading. And in Botswana is the perfect example of how ecotourism and hunting harmoniously work together. In that you've got these phenomenal destination ecotourism areas that are all tied to water. And they have phenomenal wildlife. Lions, elephants, the biggest herd of buffalo in Africa is in this place called the Mababe Depression. 4,000 on this huge sweetgrass plain. If you ever get to Africa, that's where you need to go because it's the next Serengeti. Mark yeah. my words, it's the next Serengeti. Huh. Because due to tectonic activities, I get goosebumps talking about this. Because of tectonic activity, a lot of people don't know that the river, the Okavango River, instead of dumping into the Atlantic Ocean, dumps into a desert. It's this beautiful oligotrophic wetland system. And it has tectonic shifts all the time. And 25 years ago, if you had asked somebody, hey, let's go to Mabawi, they would be like, why? It's yeah. a dust bowl. There's nothing up there. There was no water. Huh. Ten years ago, tectonic activity causes the Kwai River to flow into the Mabi into the Mababi Depression, and it flows all year round. Whoa! And it has converted this place. Paul, if we saw 600 elephants in a two-minute drone flight, we saw 1,200 elephants in a two-minute drone flight because wow. of the water. And so all of a sudden, Mababi Depression, who used to be hunted, uh-huh. is now an ecotourism zone. Uh-huh. And it has to be. And it'll make more money as an ecotourism zone. It'll make more money for the people sure. of Botswana as an ecotourism zone. You move 15 kilometers away from the Mababi Depression into a very monotonous, raisin tree, terminalia cerisea bushland. No tourist wants to go there. No. There's Ephemeral water, very rare sightings of animals, diversity goes down, density of animals go down, and the timing between encounters goes up, i.e. when you're driving a game drive vehicle, you want to see an animal every minute, every two minutes, every two minutes. That's what the data says. Once you get over the six-minute mark, ecotourism is not viable anymore. Oh, I've never even heard about it chopped up that specifically. It's brilliant. It's it's so well documented. And so it's like, okay... Well, then what is the best value? What is the best use of that land that's inside of the Mababi Depression? Hunting provides these rural communities that value. 
Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the opposition to that would be, well, you know, the whole Cecil the Lion incident. Sure. That should have been an agreement between ecotourism and hunting to say that lion brings us so much money or that elephant, that big tusker, it's off limits. Yeah. Okay. Great. No worries. Yeah. That's how it's got to work. And that's where the great in Botswana really is showing out. And then you have almost like in between, you've got these like stopover tourism destinations for overlanders that they stop in a campsite, they go visit a bird sanctuary, pay a hundred pula and move on. All of that area is hunted and is the only value being brought back to communities. And so we just visited all of these different places and there are there are water infrastructure projects going in the ground because of hunting. There are toilets going into the ground because of hunting. There are these these guys are so smart. This one community trust was so smart that they're investing in a prize giving ceremony for the four primary schools that they their sort of conservation trust sort of umbrellas. And it's they've created this trophy, this big trophy, and the schools um they compete for the trophy. Uh-huh. And we went into the principal's office of the Nata Primary School, and he was this old Zimbabwean guy, 34 years old, in a suit and tie, it's hot as Hades. <laughs> he's got he's got uh, signage behind it that says laziness is the first step towards corruption, you know, kind of guy. Uh-huh. And uh, he was so proud. He had his trophy there, and they give prizes to the best teacher of the four primary schools. And I said, who's paying for all this? And it's hunting huh. and hunters that are paying for all that. And I said, what about the ecotourism lodges that are around here? There are a dime a dozen that you can stop in and camp. And you're like, we don't get any money from them. Yeah. And I was like, wow, man. And he had, this, he had this trophy for the teachers. And I said, I said, you're a principal. You want to incentivize your teachers. I said, you know, money is a great incentive for teachers doing better, teaching t- kids better. I said, how much would you put towards the prize? And he looked at me very sternly and he said, I'll give, I think, 5,000 pula is good. It's $340. And I said, I'll do it right now. I'll do it myself. I'll pay for that prize right now. Yeah. And he couldn't believe it. Like the teachers were like, couldn't believe it. And then this lady at the corner says, excuse me, sir, clar- point of clarification. Did you mean this school or all the schools? And I said, all the <laughs> schools. She goes, because if it was this school, I would win that money. And he had the teachers broken down by percentage of how well they were doing. Uh-huh. It was incredible to see. Wow. And I say that all to say, it, it was, it's those kinds of stories. It's your kind of stories that you're pushing out in terms of what, you know, what conservation really means in these backward areas, you know, in the Amazon and in Peru and that nobody knows about. Yeah. I mean, I I care that the world stays wild. I care that ecosystems continue to function. I care that we do not lose species. Mm -hmm. I think we're at a very critical time in history for those things. Mm -hmm. The rest, we really got to talk about the fact that we all got to be on the same team. You know, everybody that's trying to protect the wild needs to be on the same team because we're up against, I mean, I just got back and they're starting burning season in the Amazon where they're just clear cutting the forest. And you know, who, you know what they're doing? They're planting soy. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and they're, you know, they're, they're plant, they're, they're growing grass. After that, they'll, they'll put grass for cattle. Um, how many seasons does that typically, how many seasons uh, can they get out of 
for soy? One or two? Uh, soy, or soy is, I think it's one or two. Um, a lot of times they do papaya, they do cacao. And then the weird thing is I've seen, you know, packaged, you know, chocolate here where they're like from cacao from the Amazon rainforest. And I'm like, yeah, that they cut down the Amazon rainforest to, to plant a monoculture of. I don't understand how this is something that we're going to celebrate. Um, and so, yeah, it's just we're, we're seeing like the wholesale destruction of wild lands, turning it into, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. ripping apart ancient ecosystems to. And if you so here's the thing at the end of the day, if you told me you could take, you know, 300,000 acres of rainforest and protect it. But you have to let some people go in and hunt some peccary and some deer and stuff and really. Or burn it down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Which, which direction do you think I'm going to go? Keep it wild. And then you keep, again, you're talking about, and especially in the Amazon and, and also at, at, in, in the Eastern Cape, you know, thousands of species of birds, hundreds of, I think in, I think in our region, we have 700 species of birds. It's like, wow, it's just out of control. And like, yeah. you know, there's so much other wildlife protected under these umbrella species, the big famous species that people want to photograph or want to hunt or want to encounter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, no, it's, it's just such a complex thing and it's such a crucial time for it, man. Paul, how can people help you? Like, how can my community help you in terms of donating, in terms of what can they do to help you? Well, right now, um, Jungle Keepers, I have to tell everybody, um, you know, I don't know how it works with other organizations. The local people in the Amazon forms Jungle Keepers. I've helped them. Um, we protect 50,000 acres. We're trying to protect 300,000 acres along this absolutely pristine primary rainforest corridor. And so I assume that anybody listening to this podcast is, is someone that loves the outdoors, cares about hunting, cares about that sort of nature connection. It's a place that you can come and really experience nature. And so coming right now, we're doing ecotourism trips. We don't have hunting trips or anything like that, but just coming out there with us helps a lot. The sure. other thing is a lot of people really, I mean, we're taking loggers and re-employing them as conservation rangers. Um, on our website, we have, you know, a monthly donor program. People help through there. People come down. We also just, now this is where something actually, the, the, this, this conversation at Buffalo Kloof and the idea of like hunting being a higher value uh, as, composed, as compared to ecotourism actually inspired this. But we said, okay, instead of bringing a lot of these lodges on like the more touristy rivers they they bring in hundreds of tourists you know every month you have hundreds of boats going and hundreds of tourists and people come in and they take their picture of the jungle and they leave and we said no we're working in such an such a remote pristine environment we said what could we do that that would you know raise that price tag and bring in a, a high-end client but less and so a smaller footprint right. but a greater value and so we just built the world's tallest treehouse in the top of the amazon rainforest oh with air gosh. conditioning with air conditioning with the bathroom with everything you're up above the canopy with just fifty thousand acres of the amazon rainforest to the horizon it is mind-blowing and so it's like we just did that and so people really can nice. travel with us come out and experience it become monthly donors and i think we're doing some pretty good work down there because we're actually That's we're actually standing. yeah standing against the flames so 100 percent. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, I will definitely put... It's on your website, right? Paul Rosen? Yes. Oh, oh, junglekeepers.com. <laughs> junglekeepers.com. Right, junglekeepers.com. Junglekeepers that's the important one, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll certainly put that in the, the, the show notes and all the rest of it. And yes, thank people you. people your, your way, man. Um, 
I much appreciate you, man. I hope this is the start. If there's anything you need from me, from us, if there's a question, anything, dude, you know how to reach me. I Just appreciate reach out. that. You're going to be my hunting expert from now on. And uh, I, I, I'm, I am going to, once, once we get off, I'm definitely going to hit you up for that, that, that place in Botswana again, because that sounds incredible. Dude, I have to see yeah, that. Yeah, I'll have give to you some that. more information. It's and, incredible. And because you love wetlands, I got I to gotta send you some information on what the floating forest is and what lives there. Because there's this place oh, with man. giant anacondas and this horrendous Dude, the, swamp the Pantanal system. is where yeah. I want to. I've never been to the Pantanal. Oh. It's one of the places I want to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Dude, well, you're I'm the looking man. forward to more. You too. Thanks Thank for having you. me on. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.